I was uh, not compliant with the sound guys this morning. I was supposed to do a mic check, so we're doing a mic check right now, okay? Is that all right? <laughs> Good morning. morning. How are we this morning? Well, you ready to dive into the Word? And I'm excited about what God's doing with this series and, and uh, these messages. It's been, uh, you know, it, it's always the case with preaching that you're preaching to yourself, more than you're preaching to anybody else. And so I've appreciated so much of this content. And uh, if you missed last week, I know we had some video issues and, and uh, we, we were unable to capture that video, but we do have the audio still. So if you missed last week and you want to catch up on the series, uh, you can uh, tune in, you can find that online. Um, if you want to get ahead of me, you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46. How many of you brought a Bible that's in print? Let me see, let me see, serious. Oh, well, we're, we're holding about 40%, maybe, huh? How many of you have a Bible on your electronic device? There you go. All right, well, uh, you need to have that with you. Every, wherever you go, it's something that we always need to be looking into is the Word of God. We need to be familiar with it. We need to know what it says. And, uh, part of this series that uh, I've been talking about, the rest of God, some of the content is based on a book by an author named Mark Buchanan, who wrote a book called The Rest of God. And I want to give him proper credit because it was the inspiration be, uh, for me behind a lot of this series. And God started using a lot of the content to help, help me process some things. And then, uh, so there's some of that. If you were interested in that, Mark Buchanan, The Rest of God. Uh, you could check out that book. You can find it online there as well. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm going to take a few minutes this morning and review, probably for 10 minutes or so, about what we talked about last week, because I think it's so important to get some of these fundamental things ingrained in us as we proceed uh, through the Word of God. Let's begin with prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, like Jeff led us in today. I thank you for this day. I thank you for so many things. I'm thankful for the moment in time that you grabbed a hold of my heart, Lord, and really drew me to you. Lord, I'm so thankful for that. And God, I pray, Lord, that uh, I'm, I'm thankful for your spirit that leads us and empowers us, that ministers truth and life to us, God, that leads us in our decisions and in our, uh, the way we go. Lord, I pray that your spirit would lead us all now. Lord, as, this, as the scripture goes out today, Lord, I pray that it would be tilling up soil in each one of our hearts. Lord, it would be confronting our different attitudes and mindsets. Lord, that it would be uh, stirring inside of us and leading us uh, towards you. Lord, we looked at the scripture in Psalms last week that said, examine my heart if there be any wicked way in me. And it ends with, with lead me in the way everlasting. God, lead us all in the way everlasting. Lord, focused on you today in Jesus name. Amen. How many of you could use some rest? I asked this last week. Maybe you're all rested up, but when I look at the world around me, I look at a world that could use some rest. And I'm not talking about just physical rest. We talked about God giving us the Sabbath on the seventh day in Genesis and establishing a day of rest after days of work. But Jesus Later in his ministry, he says, I will give you rest. Was Jesus talking about the physical rest that you might be taking this afternoon? I think their rest can take on a lot of different meanings as we look at it throughout the scripture. Uh, we see it in a lot of different ways. 
Exodus chapter 2, verse 8, when God is giving the Ten Commandments, which are the first commandments of, of the Old Testament law, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So God starts out by, by teaching his people, keep a day of rest, a day where you cease your labors and you take a break. A day where, you know, they got prepared on the day before. Their Sabbath was on a Saturday. It was from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. That's how the Jews measured their days. And they took a day and they rested. And they were very strict about how that uh, worked. We see that uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. See, God promised a rest for his people But it wasn't just a day of rest from physical rest. It was a day when they would rest from having to earn their salvation, Hebrews teaches us. Aren't you thankful you don't have to earn your salvation? Are you thankful for that? We should be really thankful for that because that would be a lot of hard work that we cannot actually accomplish. But Jesus paid a price that we could have a, that we could rest in him. So when something inside of us wants to become anxious and toiling in our relationship with God and somehow try and earn that from him, we have to stop and go, Jesus earned it for me. I can rest assured that I am one of his children, that I don't have to earn that adoption from him. I don't know if there's a rest better than that, where we can cease from that labor to earn our salvation. And then what I spent most of my time talking about last week was resting in the midst of chaos and fear. Can we really stop and pause and rest while the world around us, the storms are blowing and the waves of life are crashing around and all kinds of uh, stuff is being stuffed, that's what I'll call it. All kinds of stuff is flowing into our ears and into our eyes as we, we read the news and we hear people commenting and we hear all the opinions and we hear the attitudes. There's a lot of stuff coming at us. Can we rest in the midst of fear and chaos? Last week we looked at, uh, if we want to understand what it means to rest, we also have to understand that we were made to work as well. So even though we don't earn our salvation through works, we were made to work. God is creative. He made us creative. We see in Genesis chapter 1 that we were made to work. God put man in the garden. Uh, He said, subdue the earth, rule over it, multiply. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden. Why? Why was man put on the earth? Why was he put in that creation? To cultivate and keep it. The very first prerogative God gave mankind was to cultivate this creation. Be a steward here. Subdue it. Multiply in it. Rule over it. That is still true today. We are called to be stewards in this life of all these things God has given us in so many different ways. But work, like most things, while it's generally good, it can become our master. How many of you have known someone or you yourself have gone through a phase or maybe you're even in a phase now where work has become your master? You were made to work. You were made to subdue the earth. It's what you're supposed to do. But all of a sudden, it becomes the thing that rules over you and it becomes God. It becomes a taskmaster driving your life, driving your schedule. It's like so many other things that we talked about last week They're not, that are not inherently wrong but can become wrong in life. Food is a wonderful thing. How many of you like food? 
I hope you do. Why? We need it. It's a good thing. But it can become a bad thing, can't it? When it begins to consume our lives and become our focus. More yet, other things we consume. Drink. Right? Not inherently bad, but it can become an evil in our lives where it begins to dominate us. We become addicts. What about medication? I don't think medication is inherently wrong. I think there's been some really poor teaching about that in the church. It's a gift of God. It's part of our stewardship in our creativeness, in our, in our creation, in our growth and subduing the earth. We've come up with things that are beneficial to us. Medication is not wrong, but it can become wrong. When it becomes our God or we become an addict, then we have issues, don't we? It's not inherently wrong, but it can become wrong. How about TV or other entertainment? Nothing wrong with watching TV. Any of you ever binged a show and started, kind of felt guilty about it? <laughs> All the time you spent? What, what, kind of, what kind of shows did you binge watch? Entertainment in and of itself is not wrong, but it can become wrong. Like so many things, there's a balance in our lives. Even your greatest strengths can become your double weaknesses, can't they? You can, become, you can be a very, very intelligent person, but in time, your mind can become your God. Your logic becomes the thing you worship and how you make all of your decisions. Things like that. We live in an anxious and busy world, but God has called us to rest in him. Not to be lazy, but to operate our everyday lives from a restful, peaceful, contented, and trusting place. So that no matter what is going on in the world around us, we are operating out of a sense of peace and contentment. Which is very, very challenging. I told you last week, the church should be the calmest, peaceful, most grounded group of people on the planet. If we really believe what we say we believe, then we should be the most peaceful, grounded, contented, calming presence on the earth, period. If we believe the word of God, if we really believe what it says, because we have absolutely nothing to be afraid of, not even death itself should drive fear into our hearts, let alone all the other things that go on. But when we get caught up, you know, Ephesians talks about going from uh, spiritual immaturity to maturity. And part of that is that we don't get swept away with every wind and wave of doctrine that comes our way. But we're meant to be very grounded in God and grounded in the word so that when the wind comes and the storms come, like Jesus told in the parable, we stand because we're firmly planted on the rock. Calm, steady, strong faithful, focused, keeping priorities in the right order and those kinds of things. And in that way, we bring the kingdom of God to the earth. Our primary citizenship is in heaven. It is with God. Your life is not your own. You were bought at a price. The Bible says you already died in a way. You left it all behind. This earthly thinking, earthly processes and have embraced a spiritual life. So what are we worried about? This series is called Time Out. And, it, and there, there's always the very practical, real time out. How many of you got put in time out as a kid? I, they didn't have time out when I was a kid. 
That would have saved me some issues. <laughs> no, we, we need to take a t- physical time out sometimes because we're just so dang busy. Everybody you talk to, this is the, just, always, this is the number one response. How you doing? How's it going? I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. Are you busy? How many of you are busy? It's okay. You can raise your hand. Confess. We are busy. We're really busy. We're, but we're not just busy with our schedules. With when all this chaos and the stirring goes on, we get really busy in our minds. And we get really busy in our emotions. And my schedule might not have anything on it, and I'll be exhausted at the end of the day because I was churning away in my mind, or my emotions were raging all day because of the storms of life, stirring me out of my rest into my toil. Toil is such a, the, the book of Ecclesiastes is, you know, he's, he's, Solomon is wrestling with this idea. It's so frustrating, God, that we were put on this earth and we just toil and toil, but then we die. And he's calling us to, you know, he said, to enjoy this toil. Can we do that? Can we, in the midst of all of this, can we stop and go, I love God. I love my life. I love my family. I can if I'm grounded in the word. I'm grounded in a relationship with God and I'm not being swept away by everything that comes across my screen and carried away, carries my emotions away and I begin to toil internally. Do you remember what our exercise was last week? I'll give you a cookie if you can tell me. Anybody else? Did you you hear Mrs. Barbagallo? Stop and take every thought captive. And make it obedient to Christ. This was our exercise last week. How do we, how do we f- get ourselves in a place of restfulness? First thing we got to do is we got to stop and take our thoughts captive. And not just a humanistic mind over matter thing, but lay hold of those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. What is true according to the scripture? What is true uh, in God's character and his nature and the way he operates in the world is my thinking submitted to Christ. And so when those raging thoughts start coming, do I capture those thoughts and go, is this obedient to God or not? And it's a great exercise and it is just that. It's an exercise. Some of you are, I've said this many times before, but some of you exercise and that's really weird. Like you work out your body. You go running and strange things like that, right? Funny, dry, humor, sorry. Okay, not funny. My wife keeps trying to get me to exercise. But it's, it's something you actually have to do. It's a practice in life. Not exercising, that is too. This exercise, taking thoughts captive, you actually have to do it. You actually have to practice it. You gotta be consistent in it. It's like a muscle inside of you that you exercise. And when the thoughts start coming, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and goes, take the thoughts captive. Are they obedient to Christ? Is it true what you're thinking according to scripture? Are your priorities right according to scripture? Are the things that you're feeling all these emotions about, are they right according to scripture? We've got to bring ourselves into alignment with Christ. Important exercise. I want to cover two scriptures now that I covered last week, but I think they're so important to get a hold of. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. Okay, this is Paul 
writing to Timothy. He's teaching Timothy, and he's teaching us today. If we want to grow in our maturity in Christ, we need to lay hold of these scriptures and make them a part of our life. This chapter 4, verses 7 and 16. So there's a gap in between two verses there. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself. Go through those practices, those exercises, uh, liturgies, if you will, things that we do in order to uh, work out our faith. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's such an important time for God's people to be training themselves in godliness and watching themselves and their lives and their doctrine very, very closely. This is just one of those seasons, and they come and they go. When I was a kid, there was a season like this where lots of chaotic, strange theology starts presenting itself that doesn't hold up to the scripture. And we have to stop and go, am I watching my life and my doctrine closely, or am I getting swept away by a wind or wave of doctrine that Ephesians taught, Paul talks about in Ephesians. I want to be mature, so I've got to train myself in godliness. I've got to look at these things. So when they start trying to infiltrate my mind, and cause me to fear and cause me to get swept away in something as if God is suddenly out of control all of a sudden. No, what does the word say? I gotta be grounded. I, I can be rested if I can be confident in who God is, confident in his doctrine and his ways. I can rest. I can be at peace. Watch your life and doctrine closely. I really think if, if I, this, is, this is one of those key passages you will save both yourself and your hearers. When you're in this storm of, of, of the world, be grounded in the word of God. Be grounded in the truth. Because otherwise we just, we get swept right off the rock. For this is what the Lord has spoken to me. This is Isaiah prophesying. I love some of these passages. They're so good. For this is what the Lord has spoken to me with a strong hand. Instructing me not to walk in the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything these people regard as conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not live in dread. Am I living in dread? Lord, am I dreading something? Am I living in fear of something? What is it? You've instructed me not to live in fear. Why? How? How do I do that? The Lord of hosts is the one you shall regard as holy. Not all of these things that everybody was concerned about or fearing. The Lord of hosts is the one you shall regard as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be dreaded. We talked about fear last week. Fear is that reverent awe and respect for the power of something. That's really where that begins. So we, we, it's not necessarily a negative thing in the beginning. But when we get swept away by it and it begins to dominate our lives and becomes out of alignment with who God is, then it no longer makes sense. If I run it, remember the grizzly bear I ran into last week? Maybe I didn't give the first service that example. If I go hiking this afternoon uh, out north of Avon where family has a ranch and there's a couple of big grizzly bears up there giving them trouble. If I go hiking through there and I come face to face with one of those grizzly bears, what emotion am I going to feel? Fear. Why? Because I'm smart. I know how powerful that bear is. I respect that power. And I'm going to step away slowly. I'm not going to walk up to it and try and get a selfie with it 
because God is with me, right? Doesn't make any sense. That's foolishness. God has wired us to survive, to be, be fruitful and multiply, subdue and rule over it, right? God's wired that into us. But we do get swept away. In so don't fear things that everybody around you is getting fearful about. I jo- I, I, I'm not joking, but I did bring up uh, just, you know, some of the eschatology things like the issues, you know, there's a lot of end time stuff starts getting fired up when it gets chaotic like this. Listen, there will be an end times. Jesus will return, okay? It's going to happen. Revelation is very clear. Jesus was very clear before he even left. I'm coming back. It will happen. Do we need to be afraid of it? Absolutely not. We have nothing, nothing, nothing to be afraid of. Even death itself. Nothing. And that I can rest in. If I stop and think that, I'm like, okay, I can rest in the middle of the chaos. I can find peace and contentment when I go back to the word and who God is and what his character is and root myself in it. I'm not swayed by the storm. Only he should be feared. Only he should be dreaded. And key word, and he will be a sanctuary. He's that safe place we run to. He's who we run to and put our hope and our trust in. Where we get our refreshing. Where we get our, our download of the Holy Spirit. God is our sanctuary. There's no other place on the earth, spiritual or natural, that's a sanctuary like God. Doesn't exist. Who do we run to? God. Okay, Psalm 46. I want to start with this. Let's go ahead to that next slide. I don't know if I got it. Be still. How many of you can finish the rest of this phrase for me? Be still and know that I am God. Okay, let's start with the first one. Be still. What is God calling us to? Be still. Stop. Stop the momentum and the movement and the churning and the toilsomeness. Stop it. Deep breath. Be still and know. What does it mean to know? It's not just the information. It's to have an intimate understanding. It's to know something as though you've handled it. Be still and know. So I still myself and I lay hold of what is true and I become familiar with it and know that I am God. God calls us to be still. And we see many stories of that. Busyness causes us to lose perspective. Busyness causes us to lose perspective. We lose our bearings. It's like when you're driving down the freeway at 80 miles an hour and you try and look at whatever's right on the side of the road. You can't see. It's a blur. You can't discern what's going on. It's going by so fast. And until you stop, and look around and observe what's going on, you can't catch the detail. And life is that way. When we get caught up in our toilsome busyness, we begin to lose the detail of what's going on around us. We start to not recognize that a friend may need some help. We don't recognize that we ourselves may need to take a time out and rest. We may not notice the needs or the wants or desires or what God's even trying to say to us. Because, because oh, I'm, I'm going really fast, God. I'll get back to you tomorrow. You've got to stop 
and be still. There's a story in that book I was telling you about, The Rest of God. It's a true story. It was a woman in British Columbia, and she had a huge stone in her front yard. She wasn't going to move it. She didn't like it that much. And so she decided she was going to kind of smooth it for some reason. I don't know. She was going to smooth it, polish it up, make it look good. And, and so she went out there with her, and she had some sandpaper, and she started kind of just starting to smooth out the rock. Well, pretty soon, there's these little flecks of gold. And she's oh, wow, whoa. And she, she's like, all right, here we go. You know, she's, she could use the money. She could use it. <laughs> she needed to retire. So she's just standing, standing. She's collecting this gold and thinking about all the things that this is going to, how it's going to help her and, and all this provision. And she's so excited. And she stops to take a break because it's getting hot outside. This is a true story. She stops to take a break. And she feels her wedding ring is about down to wire thin right here on the underside. Guess what those gold flakes were? Her wedding ring. She was sanding away her wedding ring. There was no gold in the rock. That's frustrating. But how much toil do we do trying to get something and in the meantime lose what was really valuable because we were so busy that we missed it. Hurry, hurry, hurry. You hear the, you've heard the saying many times, how many headstones do you see? I wish I would have spent more time at work. Right? We have to work. It's responsible. It's biblical. It's the right thing to do. We need to provide. That's good. But our toilsome lifestyle cannot become our God. We start sanding away our wedding ring. The things that really matter to us, the things that are really valuable to us, we lose while chasing our tail or chasing after the wind, to use a biblical phrase. We get busy toiling and we destroy what actually matters. Through work, worry, Hey, you don't have to be busy at work. There are other ways to be busy. You can be busy worrying. How many of you have somebody in your life that worry so intensely they're exhausting? And so you have to take a break from them because they're wore out from their own worry. That's a sad thing to be. That's a sad place to be in. Worrying so much that it's exhausting. Or people that are so angry, especially right now. They're so angry they're exhausted from their anger. And they're hard to be around. What's happening? Our relationships are falling apart while we chase something, whatever it is for you. And meanwhile, we lose perspective. We lose relationships. We distance ourselves from God. We distance ourselves from one another while we toil in whatever way it is we're guilty of toiling. Our minds are busy. Our emotions are busy. Our time is busy. I want you to take a look at this next photo I've got for you. Anybody recognize this guy? Who is that? Who is that? Cat in the hat. I got a little Dr. Seuss going on already. All right. Uh, How many of you thought that we only had fun in children's church? A little cat in the hat theology today. This is the cat in the hat, for those of you who don't know. Famous children's book, Dr. Seuss. And we're going to maybe learn a little bit from the cat in the hat today. I want to read to you this part of the book, The Cat in the Hat. 
Because our lives can begin to look like this. We start to look like this cat. Look at me. Look at me now, said the cat, with a cup and a cake on the top of my hat. I can hold up two books. I can hold up the fish and a little toy ship and some milk on a dish. And look, I can hop up and down on a ball. But that is not all. Oh, no, that is not all. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me now. It is fun to have fun, but you have to know how. I can hold up the cup and the milk and the cake. I can hold up these books and a fish on a rake. I can hold the toy ship and a little toy man. And look, with my tail, I can hold a red fan. I can fan with the fan as I hop on the ball, but that is not all. Oh, that is not all. That is what the cat said. Then he fell on his head. He came down with a bump from up there on the ball, and Sally and I, we saw all the things fall. Hopefully you know where I'm going with this. I think actually probably the wisest thing about this or one of the most important things about what the cat was doing wrong is he was standing on a ball. Pretty deep, huh? How many of us are not standing on a rock? We're standing on the sand. Or we're standing on a ball trying to live our lives. Trying to manage all these emotions. Trying to manage all these thoughts. Trying to decide how to live, how to raise our families. How to, how to be married, how to do all these things while trying to stand on something that doesn't work, that can't be stood upon, isn't meant to be anyway. But we try and we try. And we juggle all these things. Go back one picture. Would you please go back to that? Look at all of these things. What do these things represent in our lives? What are all the different things that you are trying to balance? Whether schedule things, or emotional things, spiritual things, mental things. All these things we're trying to manage because we're responsible for them and we want to see them succeed. And yet we try and then hop on a ball. Something that won't stay. Something that isn't secure. But of course we know the parable Jesus told. The wise man built his house upon the ball. No, he didn't. The rock. You will never read that parable the same again. The wise man built his house upon the rock. His feet were so planted there. A little bit of wind comes along, you're falling off that ball. The winds and the storm and the rains of life come, and you can still manage all the things God has given you when your feet are firmly planted upon the rock. We are called to stand on the rock. God is our fortress. I mentioned that uh, we, we talked about the be still and know that I am God. Now when I, when I read that be still and know that I am God, I think of like Psalm 23, which we look at, we'll look at in a minute. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures, etc. It's like, ah, be still and know that I am God. But I want to read that psalm to you today, and we'll see if maybe that's true context of when that passage is used. God is our refuge and strength. A very present, right here, with you, now, alongside of you, very present, help 
in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Just engage your imagination here for a minute. Okay, these are huge events. Creation-changing events. Though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. Are the nations raging? Is our nation raging? Yes. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter or tip over, fall, collapse. The kingdoms fall. The nations rage. The kingdoms fall. He utters his voice. The earth melts. How many of you have ever seen the Lion King, the cartoon? Remember the hyenas on there? And remember when they go, Mufasa. Ooh, and they get the shivers. Like, say it again, say it again. Mufasa. Ooh. When I read this, that's what it does to me. Ugh. Wow. Sends shivers down my spine. He speaks and the earth melts like wax melts at the word of God. It's just God's power, his authority. These nations are raging and kingdoms are falling. And God utters his voice and the earth just melts. I can rest in that. Even in that chaotic mountains being thrown into the sea. the, The oceans raging and foaming. But who is my God? The one who stills it all just with his voice, the earth would melt. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that ought to send a very, very um, positive fear down your spine at the authority and the power and the magnificence of God. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Our fortress. So we're talking about, it's, it's, it's almost ironic that in the middle of all these amazing descriptive ways of, of describing the chaos that can take place in the world, no matter how extreme it gets, that God's, God says, be still and know that I am God. I am the one who will be glorified. I am the one who is over the nations. I am the one who's going to be exalted. Not any of them, not any of you. I will be. Be still in that. There's security there. There's a sanctuary there that we can run to and rest in. That fortress. Be still in the face of these crazy things going on. 
God is, he's the God of the big things, and he's God right down to the little things. Every hair on your head is numbered. So from the mountains being thrown to the sea and the collapsing of nations all the way down to the very hairs on your head being numbered, he is God, our refuge. Now let's read Psalm 23, part of it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, he, he makes me, <laughs> he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. What does God do? How does he lead his people? How does he lead us? What is this rest he promises us? He will make you lie down sooner or later. Sometimes we are made to lie down. We've gone through a season where we had nothing, you know, whether it's an illness that comes our way or we're dealing with, we get exhausted or something like that. God God will make you take a time out. So you don't put yourself in time out. Sometimes he does it. Time for a time out for you, buddy. Go to the corner. And we have to do that sometimes. He leads us beside still waters. He'll make us lie down. Again, if you engage your imagination, I don't hear a lot of chaos, calamity, anger, charginess, if that's a word, in God's way of leading his people. He wants to lead us into still places. How could we possibly do that, Lord? The world is a mess. Be still and know that I am God. But God, the end times and this and that and the other, yes, I created them. I told you about them. They're part of my plan. I will execute them on the earth. And there is your hope. Because he rides back someday for his people, doesn't he? We can be secure in that. There's a story in Luke chapter 10. Holy cow, am I supposed to be done already? I guess I am. All right, let's go to our exercise for the day then. Stop and pay attention. When we get so busy, so carried away, so driven, so worried, so fearful, so angry, we can't pay attention to what actually matters anymore. We lose perspective on the world around us and with the people we love. We know we're too busy toiling when we stop caring about the things we care about. That's how we know. We stop and pay attention. Pay attention to his word. Pay attention to how he's working on us in his Holy Spirit. We can't do that when we're toiling. Go, 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 go. God designed you to rest. And in that rest is where he's speaking and he's bringing revelation and he's bringing security to us. But when we go, 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 we don't hear it. We're not paying attention to it. We can't receive it. What are we really thinking? What are we really feeling? Where is our will really engaged? Do we stop and take inventory and pay attention to what is actually going on in our own souls? And take inventory of that and then invite him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Okay, God is not McDonald's drive through You have to take the time to taste the food. Okay? You have to take the time to see that he is good. When we don't pause long enough, we don't receive what God has for us. The idea that he is our refuge and fortress doesn't imply, is totally contradictory to the idea that he is a drive-through. 
Sometimes Sunday morning is just our drive through spiritual life. We're just going to come in and we're going to hear something and we're going to go on about our life and that's our extent of our spirituality. But God has called us to take up residence, to live with him and rest in him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God does not call his people to be swept away by every fantasy or scheme or doctrine that comes along. He does not call us to be caught up in fanaticism, nationalism, humanism. He does not call us to fret when the nations rage and the kingdoms collapse, not even if the earth itself melts. If he really is our God, then he really is our only true refuge and sanctuary. When we really grasp that truth, then we can know that stillness and peace and security in a way that is not found anywhere else on the earth. Would you stand? God, we're so thankful (laughs) that while you could wipe us out if you wanted, you choose to be a sanctuary for us. Lord, that you have had so much compassion and love for us that we can run to you and take refuge in you. God, I pray for all the toilsome things, that all the things that everyone's trying to juggle. There are a lot of them. We're responsible. We have to manage these things. But some of them, maybe it's a, a, an undue worry or a fear or a concern that this isn't due to that person. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us sort out what we should and shouldn't be juggling. And also, Lord, that we, we would all be encouraged in our spirit. Lord, that you'd be prodding each one of us Take time to pay attention. Time to hear from you. Time to read your word. Lord, I pray that you bless each one in these words. In Jesus' name, amen.